0: Welcome to The Lighthouse Podcast, a resource created by Lighthouse Family Retreat to strengthen families living through childhood cancer. You'll hear stories from families, educational information on childhood cancer, and most importantly, we will be there to encourage your family during your journey. It's a pretty great day when you can sit down and spend some time with some new friends and really take some time to hear their personal story.
1: That's right, Christy, today our guests uh, are the Wamsleys, and they're going to give us a snapshot of what it's been like for them to walk their sweet family through childhood cancer. And they're going to share some things that they've learned and what their experience is gonna be, has been like that hopefully is going to speak to some of our listeners uh, to maybe where they're at today and, and provide a little bit of encouragement and maybe some new thoughts on how they can navigate their journey. All right, so we're sitting here with Lindsey and Matt. Welcome, guys, to the Lighthouse Podcast. Christy and I are super excited to sit with you guys and learn from you, and I know our listeners are really excited um, to be able to hear from you. So welcome. Hey, thanks. So uh, for our listeners, to give them a little bit of context, uh, why don't you guys start with uh, just telling a little bit of your story? How did everything begin for you guys?
2: Yeah, so um, our daughter had had some kind of strange ear infection, um, and we uh, really didn't have any other symptoms that she was having, but her ENT has suggested that she go to an ER just to look uh, on a CAT scan. They thought she might have something called mastoiditis, and um, when we got there, they decided to do um, some blood work immediately, which was so weird to me. Um, We were all a little bit traumatized by that. Um, thank goodness for child life experts. and um, and that's when they discovered that she had acute lymphoblastic leukemia. And so we kind of feel like we walked in with what we thought was an ear infection and walked out into a whole world of uh, pediatric cancer. So
3: yeah, it was a very sudden uh, transition for us, like a like diagnosis, I should say, because you know, a lot of families like that we've talked to, it's like, you know, a much longer period of time where they're like, yeah, we knew something was going on. As in for us, it was just like this bam, like right in your face type of thing.
1: Yeah. We've heard that where it's, it'll go on for a couple months where basically it's the mom going to the doctor and the doctor telling them one thing. You're like, no, that's not right. I'm the mom. I know there's something else going on. And so they have to do that multiple times for you guys. It was a one shot deal. Ear infection. Boom. Nope. This is it. Wow.
2: Yeah, I actually kind of praise the Lord for that in some ways. Um, We had just spent an entire uh, year coming off of a weird health journey for myself. So I'm actually grateful that it was that way because I was so tired of uh, being questioned by doctors and, you know, kind of going through that cycle. So it was actually kind of a a gratitude moment for myself of like, wow, okay, um, this was a this was something that I would have not even known was there. And I'm so grateful for this ear infection. I've never been so
0: grateful for an ear infection in my entire uh-huh. life. So. <laughs> so. so for those that aren't familiar, a little snapshot on what treatment looks like for her.
3: For her specifically, it's a two and a half to three year process. We actually just got our treatment end date, which is 2022, March, March right?
2: 30th, 2022. Yeah. So, and we
3: started in August. August of 19, 2019. Yeah. So really long journey, but, um, you know, for her, because they did find leukemia cells in her uh, spinal fluid in her brain, they basically, it, it, hers is a little different than like, you know, they, they kind of do it based off of like, you know, what, they figure out in diagnosis. So with her, we have to do a whole lot more lumbar punctures, like we do 30 before everything is said and done. So like we do we do them at this point, we do them once every four weeks, but when we started, it was literally weekly, was it not?
2: Every four days. Every four days, yeah, yeah,
3: when we started. So she was doing a lumbar puncture where they put, uh, they actually do, they inject uh, chemo into her brain, which creates a lot of neurotoxicity, obviously. Um, and that's just because the leukemia can cross the blood-brain barrier, but chemo can't. So the chemo that they put in her body can't actually kill it. It can actually basically live, like stay there, hang out, they've discovered, and then come back into her system and start the whole thing over again. And yeah, you know, so it's it's a critical step, but it's um, even kids who don't have it, like even kids that they find that don't have the uh, leukemia active in their brain fluid. Mm-hmm. Um, they still do. I think it's like four or five
2: uh, lumbar puncture. It's more than that. Or is it more?
0: Yes. Yeah. For us, it was a, it was a bunch in the beginning. Like we had, you know, the first six months, and then we had it every three months for the whole three years.
3: Right. Yeah. 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 Sorry. That. Yeah. Yeah. So, to prevent it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And so,
2: um, you know, for her, it'll be this two and a half year um, on treatment protocol, and then um, really, it's ten years until you're considered, you know, quote unquote cured. Um, uh, so that's a very interesting world. My my mom actually has lung cancer, so we're very used to the um, solid tumor world, which is very different than um, yeah. a blood-borne you know, kind of cancer. So it's been a very interesting um, thing. I remember sitting down with the oncologist and kind of saying, um, OK, we're ready to hear the options. And it was like, here are the 15 different chemos. And I'm like, OK, so what else? And it's like, here are the 15 different chemos okay, but what
0: else? Yeah, It's like, nope, that's it. (laughs) So Lindsay, you had told me once when we talked prior to this, that you guys are on a study, which I was interested in because that wasn't an option for us. Can you talk a little bit about, do you guys make that decision? Do they give you choices? Like how does that work being on a study?
2: Yeah, we were very, very lucky. Actually, um, the week that she was diagnosed, um, a St Jude trial had just opened up at our hospital um, the week prior. So she was she's patient number two on the study, um, which is amazing. It's a miracle. It's a phase three trial, um, and it's a new, very, very aggressive um, protocol. And um, what's interesting is is also our oncologist. Uh, we are not, we are not at St. Jude, but we are uh, in Texas. And um, our oncologist is actually from St. Jude as well. So he's very familiar with their procedures and their policies. And um, what he kind of explained to us was, he went through the different uh, aspects to the study, it was so new to him and to the whole team, they Mm -hmm. had been doing trainings on it. um, But really, the way that protocols had been done for decades is kind of over here in this other category, and then this new protocol comes in and it does similar things but also a whole bunch more as far as genetic testing and mm-hmm. some other aspects to it that we were very excited about there were other options um, to kind of help reduce neurotoxicity um is the goal of the study um and also to help um you know for long-term cure rates, which is the most important uh you know thing um so So that's what the study was really aiming to do. And what he did was he sat down with us for like a four hour meeting and he presented it to us. And we just kind of said, okay, well, what would be the alternative? Uh, He kind of said, well, just what we've been doing basically for decades. And um, you know, he had already at that point kind of explained to us that he had worked at all these various hospitals. He'd been doing this for over 30 years and he looked at us and he just basically said, listen, if I feel that at any point in treatment that you will get better care somewhere else, I know what every other hospital is doing. He said, and I will not hesitate to send you there. And um, and he said, but for right now, this is what we're offering. And I just asked him, I said, is if you had a child in this situation, would this be what you would choose for your child? And he said, absolutely, yes. And so for us, it was just an easy decision. Um, So we did have the choice very much. So we could go on an old COG study, or we could go on this new study, or we could actually choose to let him kind of custom tailor something to her. Um, But it wouldn't include a full genetic workup, like what she was going to get through um, this new study. So we were very excited about some of the uh, new medicines and new things that they were going to try out. Um, and, so.
3: and technically, even though we don't go to St. Jude's, we've actually never been to the hospital, mm-hmm. we technically, Addie is a St. Jude's patient. So we actually have a research nurse assigned to us for, that's, mm-hmm. that's from St. Jude's. Um, like all of her research labs are paid for by St. Jude's. Um, so it, we're technically, she's technically a St. Jude's patient, but there's just no, our affiliate hospital um, there's no need for us to physically go to St. Jude's. So yeah, you know, we have never been, but it's kind of an interesting thing because it's, you know, you're technically a St. Jude's patient. And like, anytime there's a question about her care, like I know a while back, they actually met with the entire St. Jude's team that was assigned to this research study, our oncologist and a couple other oncologists specifically for Addy, And they all met, like, in the same meeting and, like, talked about, like, her specifically. So, you know, it's really neat to see they're really intentional and, like, really caring about, like, her level of care, which is kind of awesome and kind of amazing to us
2: they use a lot of phrases like, um, pediatric cancer is kind of going in the direction of very personalized medicine, which I think every parent wants to hear. They want to hear that their child is getting something kind of custom tailored to them and their needs. And, um, so we're grateful for all the research, um, that's going on worldwide and, um, that we get to benefit from if you have to be in this situation, you know, we're, we're grateful for, uh, the care that we've been placed in.
0: That is really exciting for me to hear that it's, that it's transitioning to that and I'd always heard study and kind of in my mind, I was like, that must be such a hard decision and so stressful. And, you know, we didn't make it there. Like, this is what we're doing. And so I'm glad that for you, it wasn't that way. It sounds like, I mean, when you ask your doctor, if this is what you would do for your child and they say, yes, I I'd, I'd be into that. Yeah. Right.
2: Yeah, yeah. It was a hard thing. And we know lots of families who have chosen not to go on it because it is a little more aggressive mm-hmm. chemo. It's a chemo heavy uh, studies. So that's hard. But at the same time, um, what they're specifically trying to do is limit uh, neurotoxic effects. So actually, there are several points in the treatment where they are limiting other kinds of chemo that they would normally do. Just kind of standard blanket, um, right. you know, for kiddos. And so it's, it's been very interesting. And they're also, because they're doing the full genetic makeup, they're also looking specifically for markers that make certain kids more sensitive to certain kinds of chemo. And it's been a very interesting thing to learn about. It's fascinating.
3: Yeah. It, I mean, it is really interesting because when we, when we were, this was like, I think our third week into the, the treatment, um, you know, there was that question of like, you know where she would be classified and at that point it because of the way treatment had been going yeah. it was like we're looking at probably like you know regular cla- like standard, standard risk, risk, risk or high risk and once we got back the genetics because they do a genetic makeup of not only her but the actual specific leukemia she has and they look for all the markers which is really fascinating but um she came back low risk which completely changed our you know our treatment plan so that was kind of amazing for us. Um, And then, you know, they do every single time we go in, like they, she's, she's, they, they say she's count dependent. So like based off her counts is like the exact dosage of chemo they give her and the exact, so they're very precise. Um, So it's, it's really interesting to see. I I really hope, and I, I, from what I've heard from uh, our our oncologist and other people is it is the direction that even like the COG is moving. And like a lot Mm -hmm. of this is like becoming more mainstream. So my hope is that like, you know, we'll see more of this for for kids, you know, who have the same diagnosis, no matter where, you know, what, what protocol they're involved in.
1: You guys mentioned, um, which I thought was a great question to ask the doctor, the oncologist, if this was your child, right? What would you do? So great question to ask, but was there other, was there other things you researched or you kind of did on your own to, to learn first before you made that decision that maybe there's other parents listening and, and, uh, and maybe now they're going to go ask their doctor that same question, which is great. But what other just like feedback of, Hey, do this kind of research, you know, what else did you guys do?
2: I think that that's a very good question. Yeah. Um, so when you're dealing with acute lymphoblastic leukemia, it's actually in the name. It's acute, which means it happens so suddenly that treatment has to happen very suddenly as well. Um, and so it's unlike and now granted, I can't really speak on the other, uh, solid tumor cancers for pediatric cancers. I do know with my mom, when she was diagnosed, I mean, we, I think we spent about three weeks deciding what she was going to do. We had all the answers. We could talk to all the doctors and, um, but for Addie, you know, they made it very clear to us that, um, once she was diagnosed, um, they hooked her up to five different, uh, transfusions to get her counts good enough for surgery. And it was, we're doing surgery and she starts chemo today. Um, yeah. so we had to choose within a Time frame of 24 hours. Uh, we didn't have, you know, a long time. And at the time I didn't understand the rush. I didn't understand like, why am I needing to make this choice so quickly? And I think a lot of other families probably feel that same feeling of urgency of, you know, like, why is everyone kind of rushing me in that sense? And, um, it wasn't until several weeks later that our oncologist kind of said to us, you know, um, that many times they, um, that they, they aren't able to help a child as quickly as is needed and I kind of took that as okay so you're telling me that when you jump in like that it's really at the you're trying to save a child's life it really is life-threatening that is what you're trying to do Um, and I didn't quite understand that in the moment but I also didn't know anything about leukemia and so I think that that is what the advice is I would give is that you are not an expert in um, in any form of cancer that you your child will be diagnosed with in that moment. And so really, the to me, the best thing that you can do is actually understand your doctor and, and understand their um, background. Does your doctor specialize in this kind of cancer? Does your doctor, um, has have they worked with this specialized case before? Have they seen it present in this way? Like, for example, if you're talking about neuroblastoma, you know, ha, has neuroblastoma presented in this area before that your doctor is familiar with? You know, Are they listening and connected to the other experts in that field? Um, that was another thing that he had told us that was very comforting was that he said that you know, that the um, uh, the pediatric oncology world is actually quite connected and that they really coordinate across so quickly and easily and, and do all sorts of um, case studies together. Um, it was very comforting to know that if he was ever stuck, he could lean on these other experts across the country and it would be no big deal. Mm-hmm. And that was very comforting for us, I think. And so, yeah, to me, I think having faith and having um, trust in your doctor to make those choices for you because you won't be able to really make those choices, I don't think, um, in, in a rational sense. You're you're dealing with something you know nothing about yet. Um, and it takes a long time to really understand. It took me even a long time to really understand the ins and outs of uh, leukemia and And, uh, and if you're really looking for another opinion, I think maybe, uh, not just other doctors, but maybe, uh, maybe lean on another family, another parent who's been there, um, because you won't have that knowledge. Um, like you, you want to have that knowledge, but you just won't, you just won't.
3: Yeah. And I think, you know, for us, it it was like Lindsay said, just to reiterate, you know, it was critical for us to create a trust relationship with our doctor um, for the simple fact that it's like, if I'm going to put my child's life in your hands, like, I better be able to trust you with my child's life is sort of where it went. Um, and that's kind of sort of where, you know, our doctor came in, you know, the, the night Lindsay was telling you about her being diagnosed, she, he came in, he showed up at 2am when they told us we wouldn't see him till the next day, at you know, midday, maybe afternoon, you know, close to evening. And yet he like popped it at 2am. And he spent like, a good two hours with us, just talking to us, walking us through things. Um, so right off the bat, you know, just his his interaction with us, you know, developed trust. And then um, the next morning at 8 a.m., we see him again because they just got the flow cytometry back for, you know, a positive diagnosis. And that's kind of when we started going through all the treatment plans. And that's when, you know, he basically, it was a very boom, 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 boom type thing. Um, and we, you know, we needed to sign paperwork
2: You know, Matt actually made me think of um, the fact that when we're on our diagnosis journey, you you guys mentioned that too, you echoed that, that most families are in for a long haul. They have gone to doctors, they have fought, they have Mm -hmm. gone through the hard work of Googling and, you know, my child looks pale today, what does that mean? You know, I feel in my gut that something is wrong and that to me means that you already have listened to your intuition and have gotten to the point where you are to get that diagnosis and so if you feel that same like stirring and uneasiness in your gut that something is still wrong when they're presenting the options to you then it's probably wise to sit back and ask further questions. Just keep asking more questions. Just keep pushing until you feel either more at ease, or you can sit back and say, okay, maybe I'm feeling uncertain, because maybe nothing might make me feel better. And that's okay, too. That's really, that's valid, too. And that's where other families, I think, who have been on this journey can kind of help come alongside you and say, that's okay. It's okay to feel uncomfortable with this, that it's uncomfortable. Yeah
1: that's super helpful. I think there's a lot of folks listening. Thank you for sharing, uh, just the, the feedback and perspective on that. Cause I, I think there's a lot of parents that'll help, uh, if they're, if they're in that process and they're, uh, you know, in there from a study perspective, I think that's going to be really helpful. So let's talk about when, when everything did happen with treatment and you guys had to make some changes, around the day to day, right? There there had to be some things that changed in your world when treatment was introduced into your schedule. What were some of those changes that you guys had to had to make in the house?
2: Yeah, so um with <laughs> that meeting that we're talking about with our oncologist when he sat down and presented the options with us he also is very kind about it but he just basically says what do you do for work and um, that's when he asks each one of us what we do and I mean he needs to understand the full picture of what other kids live in the home you know what is our day-to-day like Um, and then he just looks at us and says one of you will have to leave your job there's no getting around it Um, there's no way you can do this to care for your child without that. Um, And I actually really appreciated that because I think I needed someone in that moment to tell me that. Um, Emotionally, however, it was um, probably one of the hardest things I've ever had to do was to call my 15 patients and to tell them um, that I could no longer um, help them in the way that they needed. And it was it was rough, it was almost like reliving uh, the diagnosis over and over and over again, about 15 times, but it was okay, it was, um, it was the work that needed to be done. Um, it's hard when people come to you and trust you with their care and then you have to kind of um, to step away. It's a, it's a hard thing, but so that was probably one of the hardest things um, that we had to do was for me to step away from my job. Um, but definitely an, an, a no brainer for us, it was, we, we've been living in a hospital, sleeping on a hospital bed now for almost 100 days um, since she was diagnosed. So it was an easy choice. <laughs> um, and, and then we also um, had to get a full time nanny to care for our youngest child. They made it clear that he was not allowed to go to a place where he would be exposed to other kids um, because of her immune compromise situation um they did allow our oldest to go to kindergarten which was good um which we were very excited about um and so we did he started kindergarten that week that she was diagnosed which was a very fun uh, experience I'll tell you it's, it really was not fun at all um but but yeah so we had to get a full-time nanny to watch our youngest who um at the time was 18 months old
0: wow, wow so matt that matt that leaves you i mean Lindsay is gonna now take care basically be the cancer mom and so that leaves you still working but how did that feel like that you know i'm sure that's incredibly conflicting like Lindsay now has a new job but it's super tied to your heart her new job so what is that like being the one that still can continue to work and what kind of pressure comes along with that
3: Hmm. Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, <laughs> I think it it there's so much that goes into that for me personally. Um, you know, there's there's a sense of like heartbreak and loss um, for Lindsay having to step away from something that she loves. Um, you know, since I've known Lindsay, it's like this is what she does has been her entire life's pursuit, right? Like, you know, it, it's what she dreamed about doing. And so it's it's really hard because you know, I, in, in some ways, and I like what I do, don't take this the wrong way at all, but in some ways I do what I do because I knew it would support a family and I really wanted to get married and I wanted to start a family and have kids, right? And and so it, it's hard because I know Lindsay's so passionate about what she does and she loves what she does. Then some way there's almost like, you know, my heart aches for her. Um, and then other ways, like, as far as, you know, the the other part of your question um, is it, you know, there's that, there's that stress of like, Lindsay's gonna be full-time, you know, cancer mom. And, you know, especially in the beginning, we were inpatient for basically 30 days right off the bat. And then we exited for two days and then we went back in for another three weeks. And the first, the first, I think it was the first uh, 100 days we were there for almost 90 of those days, right? Yeah. It, it was insane. Um, and so, you know, it was like, I will say, it was one of those things where um that became Lindsay's full time like job and she needs to take care of her and even when Lindsay was home you know she she goes even to today she'll go to Lindsay for a lot of things and so like it'll tie Lindsay up but then like Lindsay also is now the full time insurance person coordinator and doctor coordinator i mean it, it's insane you she could tell you you could have a whole podcast on the amount of time Lindsay spends like sometimes it's an entire day worth of my work she'll be on the phone with doctors and nurses and staff and you know mm-hmm. physical therapy and you know and, and so it's just crazy because you know that's just for the one kit um and insurance and there's always some misbilled <laughs> insurance thing so but then sorry i digress uh, but then you know back to the the you know for me you know it is it's challenging because you know I think my heart, you know, longs to be there, right? Like if I could trade places with her and and she had a job that had the insurance and and the the benefits that my job has, um, you know, I would instantly trade places. Like it's no question. Like I would rather be in the hospital with my daughter and be there, you know? And so it's just, it's really hard to be torn like that because it's like, no, no, no. I know this is the place that I need to be for my family I know I need to be at this job. I need to perform, and and you're, it's hard because my job does require a lot of mental focus, and um, it can be challenging because like sometimes I'm not all present, right? Like I'm staring at my phone because they had you know a procedure, you know, or they were going to talk to the doctor about something I cared about, and so you know I'm only half at my job, and that that can be kind of stressful. I have struggled a lot because I feel like I'm constantly being torn into because they're so graceful, there's nothing to be angry at. Like, oh, you guys are just like taking away my time, you know? Um, (laughs) It's like, now I feel almost compelled to work harder and to be more present and to do more for them because they are incredible people. Um, But then like, I'm also like my heart's over here, you know, with my daughter. And so it's a really, challenging position to be in. Um, and Lindsay, and I have even talked about how like Lindsay tends to be the one who posts on Facebook more and she talks with the nurses more and she talks, you know, and so like a lot of times I struggle because like, you know, Lindsay gets a lot more feedback of like, oh man, you're doing so much hard work and oh, I cannot believe like what a strong person you are, you know, and, and I don't necessarily need that feedback because Lindsay gives me a lot of that. Um, but like sometimes it's hard because like you know, I mean, you know, it, sometimes it's, it's challenging because the one who's working and the one who's like off, not with the cancer kid is the one who like, you know, doesn't necessarily get all the, you know, you're so brave and you're so strong and I can't believe you're dealing with all this. So it can be challenging.
1: Yeah.
0: So Lindsay, so you left your job, which obviously was challenging too, but you mentioned you were a therapist. So how has that background um, helped not just your patients, but how that helped you now? How have you been able to turn that inward and like through this? I mean, this is a super emotional journey to be on. So how has that helped your family and you personally, as you start this really long journey?
2: That's a very good question. Um, I, I would say that I think I've done a lot of self-work in the area of perfectionism. So I knew from the beginning, okay, this is not going to be perfect. Like I'm not going to do, I'm not going to do a perfect job at falling apart completely. Like it's going to just happen. Um, So, you know, there's absolutely nothing that can prepare you to fall into the role of being a cancer parent. There just isn't. Um, I I think that we can stop and look back and say, "Oh, these experiences really, you know, kind of helped shape me and prepare me for this." But but really, there's nothing that prepares you for that day when the doctors give you that news. Um, and I and I hope that um, to this day I probably have the strangest reaction um, to hearing that news (laughs) because I would hate to hear that somebody else has had to have this reaction. Um, Most parents very um, as they should fall apart. Um, I um, looked at the doctor who was poor ER doctor, um, sent in to uh, be volunteered as tribute to give us this news. Um, and I just basically said to him like, okay, that sounds about right with our life right now, because we've had a lot of other things going on that really um, just kind of was the cherry on top of our cake at that point. Um, so I really hope that that is never the way that any other families handle this. So it's just to say that I don't always handle things um, perfectly, but I think that what has helped me has just been kind of this unending grace for myself, just giving myself permission of, it doesn't matter where I am, it doesn't matter if I am in denial today. Um, You know, denial, of course, uh, a very wise friend of mine says, you know, denial is kind of like the great shock absorber of life. Um, so it's there for a little while to kind of like help you, um, but it really shouldn't stay forever. Uh, and so it's one of the, the most amazing like things to, to know, okay, like there's definitely moments where I was definitely living in denial for a while, um, but then just um, the littlest things may um, completely send you to a, a very deep and dark place. And at the end of the day, just sitting back and saying, this is okay. I'm this is okay. I look exactly the way I should look for going through this very traumatic and horrible thing. Um, So, I think just giving myself grace is probably the most honoring thing I could have done um, because, you know, having never walked through something so um, filled with grief, uh, I walk alongside people who share their their deepest, um, you know, darkest grief moments and a lot of trauma, um, unspeakable trauma that I feel fully capable of handling, but to walk through it yourself, um, something new and different uh, is, is just nothing that you can really be totally prepared for. I think additionally, if I was going to say the most helpful thing for me is um, I'm also something called a a TBRI practitioner, which stands for Trust-Based Relational Intervention. It's all about dealing with kids who have been through trauma, been through hard places. Um, And so luckily that training was something I could continue falling back on in helping our daughter deal with medication challenges, dealing with, um, you know, pokes and dealing with, um, you know, everything that she was going to have to face, um, validating her feelings, those things. I could fall back on that training,
1: mm-hmm.
2: um, but it didn't mean that I did it well or perfectly or had wonderful days where it was all roses and sunshine. It was not, it was not always that way and it still isn't always that way. Um, we have hard moments for sure.
0: You said something that helped me weeks ago, the first time you and I ever talked and i it has just been through my head over and over and over again. You had said um, when we were talking about this part that it's okay to feel two very different things at the same time. That, because um, I was discussing with you how I always felt the pressure to feel grateful, you know, like I, I, but I'm just so grateful that he's doing well today, or I'm just so grateful. And you, I wish I'd met you 10 years ago, Lindsay, because you said, you know, it's okay to absolutely feel grateful and still be devastated over here or feel joy for something, but still not be okay with the situation you're in. And I just, it's just been running through my head ever since then. It's the simplest thing, but no one had ever said that out loud to me before. I'm happy that
2: going through the pain together we can <laughs> uh, I could share that wisdom with you because I had to tell myself that as well by the way um, I have to tell myself that all the time um, that you know we have to hold space for every uncomfortable emotion, no matter what it is and we have to be okay with that. Um, I think that, to disregard certain emotions is almost like painting a picture and only using half the colors. Um, mm-hmm. If you aren't paint, if you're only painting with a certain color palette um, of joy, happiness, gratitude, right, and that's only this certain amount of colors, it's only going to look a certain way, and, and it's not going to represent your life the fullest that it could. You need the white and the dark um, to kind of even highlight those gratitude and joyful colors. Um, and you need these deeper um, hues, these, these harder moments, these harder colors to kind of come in and paint something that would be more representative of what you're really actually walking through. Because otherwise it does your journey a disservice to kind mm. of, to say to yourself, um, you know, everything was wonderful every single day. Um, I think about a moment, you know, it's funny, we all grieve different things um, at different times in this journey.
0: Lindsay and Matt, we're just so grateful that you just gave us some time today to just talk about the the beginning of your journey and just kind of where you are, in that, and just inspire us a little bit. Um, I'm sure any parent listening is going to kind of look at their day a little bit differently because, like I said, ever yeah. since I talked to you a couple of weeks ago, it's just it's just been in my head. Like I can feel two things at once, and I just I love how you paint that whole picture. Of painting a picture.
2: It really is. Um, we, I really think that we have to allow ourselves that moment and just, and just give ourselves that grace. We, we, we're so good to give each other that grace. It's so good to give ourselves that grace too. Yeah. Thank
0: you for just speaking out the truth and the good and the bad and the ugly and the beautiful. And we just really appreciate it. And we've loved spending time with you. And we just wish your cute little family the very best.
1: Yeah. Thank you guys. That was a great perspective for me to hear today. And, and uh, if you joined us today, we hope that Lindsay and Matt's story was an encouragement to you as well. Hey, just a reminder that uh, all of our retreats are open and registration is open both for our families that are living through childhood cancer as well as for volunteers to sign up. We've got space that is available. Uh, both spring break and during the summer. So be sure to go check out some opportunities on LighthouseFamilyRetreat.org. We appreciate you guys listening with us today. And we will see you later on next week's podcast.